0: So river, river so valley, valley so rain. Welcome to the Axial Spondylarthritis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Sacco. I'm a longtime spondy looking to bring the community closer to give the community a voice. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life enjoy and learn what is available to make your life better hello and welcome to this week's episode of the axial spond arthritis podcast how is everyone doing it's been a great week here weather's been really nice you know summer's kicking in so here in michigan it's just been a fantastic time how is it where you're at i know with this show going around the world we've got different seasons in the southern hemisphere so it's winter down there and i hope it's not messing too hard with everybody's as you know the last few weeks i've looked at the forum and a lot of times I see people that are somewhat new and maybe even have been around a while that talk about having the HLA-B27 gene. Well, what is it? Because not everybody with AS has the gene and there can be some overall confusion on just exactly what it is. So like many that have axial spondyloarthritis, I do have the HLA-B27 gene. I was tested for it. Geez, 35 years ago roughly give or take and obviously came back positive for me but there's many many that have a full-blown case of axial spondyloarthritis without the gene and so that leads me to today's episode i was looking through some different articles and i came across one from my spondylitis And it's a pretty good article, and I, I thought I'd go through some of it with you. It's relatively short. There will be a link for it in the show notes if you want to read the entire article. And I would encourage you to sign up for myspondylitisteam.com. There's no cost for it. You do get some interesting articles emailed to you that you may find of interest as you you know continue with your journey of learning about what this has and what it can do to you again like most episodes I want to kind of give just a overall view of what we're dealing with and then we'll, we'll delve into it a little bit deeper so as we know spondylitis or spondylarthritis is a spectrum of diseases you know that are defined by inflammatory arthritis of the spine for the most part yes it can affect all over the body but the definition is of the spine spondyloarthritis can lead to significant back pain which we're all well aware of However, as the article goes on to state, it can also involve other joints in the body, the eyes, skin, bowels, and the tendons. And this is just a general breakdown. The interesting thing is with this is that while we all have spondroarthritis, we all develop different symptoms, so we all don't really get the same line of pain the same areas of infliction for this condition so when we look at this although the causes of spondylitis are not entirely understood it is thought that the combination of genetic and environmental factors play a role the environmental factors include infections such as those caused by reactive arthritis an imbalance of intestinal bacteria and or vitamin D deficiency Well, there's no way to prove what set off my axial arthritis. I think back to when I was real young and I was probably eight or nine and developed pneumonia. When I went to the doctor with pneumonia, they gave me a shot of antibiotics. They gave me several of them. And I think that that's what triggered it along with environmental factors, or hereditary factors. They just combined and it. it was just the right time for it. There's no proof of that, but that's always been my thought as to what kind of kicked it off for me. You might have had something different. I've had people say they've gone, you know, all sorts of different things, pregnancies, car accidents, you know, all of this like minus conjecture. We really don't know. We hope that sometime in the future, there is some way to pinpoint, hey, this is the causation for somebody that has it, and if we can look at these causations of people that have it, maybe we can help determine for future generations how to stop that from happening. So ultimately, what is HLA-B27? Well, it is a gene that's encoded a protein called human leukocyte antigen B27, which is a protein found on the surface of cells. This protein, you know, is involved in immunity and the HLA-B27 plays a major role in spondylitis and is one of the type of just HLA-B genes. There's a whole bunch of So the HLA-B gene is present in a majority of people with certain autoimmune and autoinflammatory diseases, and most importantly, all types of spondylitis. So the HLA-B gene has many different normal variations, as the article goes on to state. It kind of delves through each of them and talks about, you know, what you have depends on which involved copies of genes you inherited from each of your parents. That's the hereditary part, coming in and saying, I inherited this from my mother, this from my father, and it's going to set me up for this type of HLA-B gene. In the United States and the United Kingdom, only about six to eight percent of the general population is HLA-B27 positive, which means that they you know they have the gene. But for those living with spondylitis, HLA-B27 positivity is much more common. One small study, and I mean small, showed that 88% of these individuals are HLA-B27 positive. There's numerous HLA B 27 subtypes, and those are known as single nucleotide polymorphisms, and they may be responsible for for either mild or even severe symptoms in certain people. This, I think, is one of the things, and it's not listed in here, but I think these subtypes are why we as individuals respond better to some biologics versus others. Could be off, but I think these subtypes come into play. For example, I didn't respond well to either Humira or Embrel or really any of the any of the TNF inhibitors, but once I started Cosentix, no problem. Again, I think the subtypes come into play and, and help to, you know, continue to determine what not only hurts us, but what helps us. So what is the role of the HLA-B27 in the immune system? Well, the HLA-B27 and other HLA genes are part of the major histocompatibility complex class one group of genes. This group of genes is found together on human chromosome six. These genes play a significant role in adaptive immunity so basically adaptive immunity is where our immune systems has an ability to distinguish between self i.e our own body and non-self i.e you know cold virus or whatever external pathogens it's it's trying to fight. It also mounts an immune response to new threats that the body has not encountered before, such as viruses, bacteria, and cancer. These MHC-I genes code for proteins responsible for presenting antigens, you know, portions of foreign proteins on the surface of cells. In other words, when cells in the body find something inside themselves that do not belong, the MHC-I proteins take a portion of it and place it on the outside of the cell for the white blood cells to recognize as foreign and then attack it, delete it, get rid of it get it gone well the mhc-i proteins they attract the attention of cd8 plus t lymphocytes marking the cells for destruction MHC's class genes code for protein responsible for presenting antigens on the surface of the cell so they will create antibodies to again attach to the antigen so how is the hla-b27 in autoimmune and autoinflammatory disease well autoimmune disorders like spondroarthritis, lupus, psoriatic arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and some of the other rheumatic diseases. Those occur when our immune system mistakenly attacks healthy tissue. Sometimes a distinction is made between autoimmunity, which involves autoantibodies, and autoinflammation, all other type of immune responses that attack healthy tissue. Here, the term autoimmune In this article is used to include both like antibody associated autoimmunity and just basic auto inflammation so the the role of hla-b27 in the autoimmune response is not entirely clear as the author states but there are several theories the first theory is that the hla gene on the surface may present parts of proteins to cytotoxic t-cells resulting in an autoimmune response Second, HLA B27 proteins can form a linkage to each other in pairs called homodimers, leading to an immune response and inflammation. Third, the HLA B27 protein may not be folded properly when it is made in the cell, resulting in damage to the cell and an inflammatory response. So, when the proteins are assembled in the cell, you know, kind of like when you put a model airplane together, if it's not folded right, it's not going to fly. So, they start as a chain of amino acids. These amino acid chains must be folded into to the proper three-dimensional shape to function. If they're not, then it could look like it's a foreign body and that triggers a response from white blood cells and any other items designed to remove foreign bodies from you to look at them and say, these have got to go, and it creates a problem. So again, it's not entirely clear how the HLA-B27 contributes to spondylitis. It may involve one or more of these theories or other mechanisms. Simply having a certain version on a gene such as the HLA-B27 is not enough to cause spondylitis on its own but the combinations of genetic and environmental factors working together are likely to cause some type of the spondylitis issues that we deal with. And I know that's a heavy bit that I just went through, a lot of medical terminology, but for you to really understand, if you want to go out and get a very good grasp on how this HLA-B27, if you want to get a really good idea about the HLA-B27 gene and how it's affected and how it plays a part in AS, you kind of got to have an idea of these terminologies and these ideas to then go and do your own research the way you need to do it to learn what's best and how to kind of interact with your doctor and what they may know about some of this. Are there any other genes that interact with HLA? B27. Well, there are. There's an ERAP1 and ERAP2, and they're both proteins found inside cells that are involved in functioning of the MHC-I proteins. Specific subtypes of ERAP1 have been identified in people with arthritis, and then ERAP1 and 2 may also contribute to autoimmune response by failing to remove certain portions of proteins before sending them to the cell surface. Again, it's very, as far as I consider it, very deep. You know. You use this as a basis for, again, starting to understand what's going on. Genes associated with spondylitis. And here's the catcher. A lot of people say, well, I didn't test positive for the HLA-B27. That's okay. That doesn't mean you can't have it. There may be as many as 60 other genes in the human genome that have been identified that are associated with spondylitis. So if you don't have this one, there's a pretty good chance you might have one of the other ones and it's just not being looked for in the same way because there's such an easy blood test to find out if you test positive for HLA-B27. I don't know if they test for these other ones, maybe something that's done for more in-depth testing. So again, you have to talk to your doctor about this. These genes are either on their own or in combination with other genes and may help cause spondylitis in unknown ways. Neither genetic factors nor environmental factors alone cause spondylitis. And no single combination of hereditary and environmental risk factors explains how spondylitis develops. Basically, they don't know. That's really what it boils down to is you got it and they don't know how you developed it, how it came on or what's triggered it. That's a very frustrating thing when you can look at some other conditions and say well i did a b developed and now i have c that's not the case with axial spondy arthritis you could have done a b and c and have nothing and your friend did a b and c and they have axial spondy arthritis or vice versa it's there's just no rhyme nor reason at this point with our understanding of why we have what we have we know more research is needed into the spondyl issues spondy conditions that we all have and other autoimmune and autoinflammatory conditions is constantly leading discoveries as to how these diseases develop. So overall, again, I know this was a little more medical heavy terminology in this episode than what I normally do. If you're here and still listening by the end, thank you. I know it's kind of a deep episode. It's not one that you put on and it's not a happy-go-lucky topic, but it's so important to understand. And it's even one that if you have a spouse, a partner, family members, and they're kind of wondering, you know, I, I hear that you have this thing, but what is it and how did it come about what is it doing. I'll say that what I've been saying for years, share this episode with them, share all the episodes with them, let them listen. Sometimes, even though it's not right, sometimes when you are the one telling your family that's closest to you, they may not completely accept it, may not completely believe you, you know, you know they've heard it from you for a long time and they've kind of become numb to it. Let them hear it from a third party. Let them hear it from me. Let me come in and through these podcasts, explain different things that you're dealing with so that they can sit there and make maybe have one of those aha moments to say you know i just thought it was my child my wife my husband my partner who you know wh- whoever But this guy's talking about having all the stuff that you've talked about. This must really be much more to it than what I originally thought. So with that, I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. I know this is a heavy episode for medical terminology. When you're done, hit the spondypodcast.com website, sign up for the newsletter, and I look forward to coming to you next week. Take care.